Welcome to the podcast of Eden Worship Center. We believe that God has perfectly revealed himself through scripture alone, and that salvation comes by grace alone, from faith alone in Christ alone, and that everything is for the glory of God alone. So as we study God's unchanging, inerrant word together, ask God to open your eyes, to open your eyes to see yourself and your own sin clearly. Open your eyes to see Jesus clearly, and pray that God would give you the grace to repent, to turn from your sin, and the faith to trust in Christ alone for your salvation. If you'd like more information, go to our website at edenworshipcenter.co. Well, we're continuing our study in the book of Genesis. We've just begun. We're only a couple weeks in as we're looking at the creation of all things, the beginning of all things. We're going to see a repeating pattern in the text today. Uh, in fact, it's, it's right off the bat, if you're here in the room, you can grab your bulletin. It's one of the fill-in-the-blanks for you. Uh, and here's the pattern. God brings order out of disorder. That, that which is unformed, that which is not in an orderly fashion, God brings order in the midst of it. This is not just a pattern we see in this passage in Genesis, but throughout all of Scripture that God is rightly bringing order in reflection of who his nature and character is, he is displaying that in his ordering of the universe, his ordering uh, of the physical uh, world that we live in, in the ordering of the family, in creating male and female in his image, and giving them uh, equality in worth and differences in roles and how they interact, how they uh, care and nurture for their children. There is right order in the parental relationship. And the way that the church is structured, God brings order into all things. 1 Corinthians 14 verse 33 says, for God is not a God of confusion. The NIV uses the word disorder there, but a God of peace, as in all the churches of the saints. And so we find right from the beginning in Genesis, God brings light from darkness. God brings order in creation, order in the church, order in the family. And all of it is meant to point towards something in God. Not the church, not the family, not the husband, not the wife, or any other lesser thing. This order is meant to point us towards God himself. So in verses 1 and 2, we find that God has created, and yet it is disordered not not disordered like you walk into your child's room and you go what has happened here was anyone injured like this this looks dangerous uh, clearly a bomb of some sort has gone off do we need to call 911 not that kind of disorder that that's a result of our lack of care and attention or even negligence in caring for that which god has given to us no god has created but everything is just sort of sitting in a not-yet-ordered way. Maybe that's a better way to say it. It's not disordered uh, in the way that we think of disordered, but it's not yet ordered. Yet, were we to stand there as witnesses of God's creation, Genesis 1, 1 and 2, we couldn't see it. We couldn't discern uh, what it was. Everything is, is shrouded in darkness. All of the the waters are all mixed together before God has separated them. It's described as formless and void. And yet we know in that, in that darkness, in that silence, something huge is about to happen. I was going to say something earth-shaking or earth-changing is about to happen, but the earth hasn't happened yet. Something unbelievable in the universe is about to happen in this moment because the end of verse 2 tells us that the Spirit of God is hovering, just sort of waiting. There's this anticipation as he's over these waters, over that which is not yet formed. Now, here's our problem. We read these first few verses of Genesis knowing much of the end of the story. We've just finished a couple months in the book of Revelation looking at the entire end of the story. But as we stand as observers of Genesis, this first chapter, we don't know who this God is. We don't know what he is like. We don't know what he wants. We don't know what his motivations are. All we know is that he exists. That he is somehow the creator. That everything else that would be an imitator, would attempt to be a rival of that God, 
is a phony. And this God exists. We don't, we don't know who he is. We don't even know his name yet. The, the word for God that is used is a generic term that was actually used by pagan religions as well. So this is just a generic, like our word, God. This God exists. We don't even know that as he's going to create all things, he's simply going to speak it into existence. So we find in Genesis 3, and God said, let there be light, and there was light. And God saw the light was good. And God separated the light from the darkness, and God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. There was evening, there was morning, the first day. Uh, we f- frequently encourage you to get a study Bible. Get, get a good study Bible. One, one of those is the ESV study Bible. Uh, there's some trusted brothers who I count as personal friends who I've seen one time at a conference who helped put that together. I'm pretty sure they would like me, but they just haven't had the chance yet. Uh, some of the study notes are so helpful that in your reading of God's word in the scripture. We don't, we don't look at those notes as having any sort of equal standing in scripture, but sometimes they help to inform uh, our understanding of what we read. And here's what the ESV study Bible says. The absolute power of God is conveyed by the fact that he merely speaks and things are created. Those of you who get up and go to work tomorrow are going uh, to get up, get around, brush your teeth, put on clothes, get in your car, drive to work, uh, punch in, uh, work with the sweat of your brow. We're going to find that in Genesis 3. That's part of the, the curse that our work, which God made us to do, now becomes drudgery and toil to us. And at the end of the day, hopefully, Lord willing, you will have created something. It's a lesser creation. It's not ex nihilo, out of nothing as God creates But you will have, with the sweat of your brow, created something. Anybody ever done that before and then looked back at the end of your day and went like, yes. It's just something fulfilling in completing that task. That's not the description of God. That's essentially what God does on day seven as he rests. But God does not work. He does not toil. He speaks it into existence. Things that you and I can't even comprehend of the universe, of the cosmos, the the great expanse of God's creation, of which earth is a tiny little speck, and he speaks it into existence. John 1, verses 1 through 5 says this, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. All things created by God's sovereign, powerful word. Again, I'm just going to give you a bunch of scriptures in this first section, then we'll move quickly uh, through the rest of the days of creation. Hebrews 1, verse 3, the sun, not not S-U-N, not not the star that we see that that shines upon our earth, the sun, S-O-N, Jesus is the radiance of God's glory. The exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. Here's the image that I think we're meant to take away from this this idea of darkness. And this isn't uh, evil darkness. This isn't ominous darkness. This is just darkness versus light, which scripture is going to paint in those kind of poetic images. But the darkness had no choice but to give in to the light. This is the sovereign power of God. That his power of light is greater than any darkness. It must submit, it must surrender to the coming light. John Calvin, in his commentary on this section, reminds us, we talked about it last week, reminds us that this is divine theater. God putting on display some sort of acting out of his glory that we might see it and recognize he's the invisible God whom we cannot see and therefore he puts his nature and character on display in that which he has created that we might see it. And God doesn't create anything. This is Calvin's first comment that he makes here. God doesn't create anything until there's light for which it can be seen. That God desires for his creation to be seen, his glory to be seen, his greatness to be seen. That one day, 
all will see it. And yet, who saw it from the beginning? God alone. That God does this for his own glory. God is not sitting around wondering if you're going to catch up and finally go, oh yes, he is glorious. God puts his own glory on display for himself. That is a fascinating thought, looking at the beginning of Genesis 1 here. 2 Corinthians 4, 6, For God who said, Light shall shine out of darkness, is the one who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. That God does not have to turn on the lights, as it were, in your heart, that you might see him. God does not have to reveal himself to you that you might see him. And yet he does. John, in his gospel, writes, we have seen his glory. Right? So I, I want you to think about two distinctions. God turns on the light of all creation that we might see him and know him. And there's two categories, those who have seen and those who refuse to see. John in his gospel says, we have seen his glory. It's just a glimpse, brothers, sisters. It's just a glimpse the majesty, the, the scope of God's power and wonder in creation. The beauty of which mankind actually bears the image of God. We see beauty in each other. We see beauty in humanity around us. We see infinite beauty in Christ's salvation. Of God's great work to save that which was made in his image but then marred by sin. Albert Moeller, in commenting on this section, says this, God has done this in such a way so that 10,000 years from now, we may still stand in awe and amazement at God's amazing grace in salvation. You are not meant to just get it on a Sunday morning. Oh, I get it. I, I comprehend the fullness of my salvation. And then half-heartedly sing along with some worship song that, that reflects this glorious and great truth of God's salvation. Oh, Christian, there, there's going to be an increasing revelation of that glory until the day that you step into eternity, and I guarantee you're going to start singing differently for the next 10,000 years and beyond. This is divine theater. This world is divine theater for God to put on display his glory. That's those of us who have seen it. And then there's those who reject it. 2 Corinthians 4.4 4 says, The God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers that they can't see it. They can see it, and yet they can't see it. They cannot comprehend the glory of what God has done because they are blinded to it. Psalm 19 verses 1 through 6 says, I want to read you a couple chunks of scripture here. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day, they pour forth speech. Night after night, they reveal knowledge. They have no speech. They use no words. No sound is heard from them. Yet their voice goes out into all of the earth. Their words to the end of the world. Folks, this is a crushing blow to that argument that says, yes, but what about that good person who's never heard? And the psalmist would say, he's heard. She's heard. The glory of God, the righteousness of God has been put on display in the order and majesty of his creation. Romans chapter 1 actually tells us what's really happening here. Verses 18 to 21, the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Since what may be known about God is plain to them. These should be terrifying verses for us as believers. Those of us who, who want to give some sort of justification pass, well, it's okay, they didn't, they didn't really know any better. They're a good person, I think they're going to be alright. And scripture testifies against that. What could be known was known to them. It was, it was made plain to them because God has made it plain to them. Verse 20, for since the creation of the world, Paul points all the way back to where we are in Genesis, since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power, his divine nature have been 
clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that people are without excuse. For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him, but their thinking became futile, and their foolish hearts were darkened. That's where we start. We start with darkness. And into that darkness, God brings light. Into chaos, God brings order. Only what do we find Paul's testimony against fallen humanity in Romans is that we actually love the darkness. We actually suppress the truth of God's order and God's holiness and righteousness because we are rejecting God. John 3.19 says that men love the darkness because their deeds were evil. Christian, this should drive us to our knees to pray. For those who do not know, who do not believe, because the truth is, they know. For them, every moment of God's glory being put on display will testify against them. It will say, we did not want it. The light was on, and God will say, you loved the darkness. Man, if you can hear me right now, if you're in this room, if you're watching online, and your heart would testify secretly, I love the darkness. I have sin that I'm hiding. I have coldness of heart. I have anger and bitterness that I'm not willing to let go, and I'm just letting it live in the realms of darkness. That which was once ordered in my life has now devolved into chaos. And you're sitting here questioning if you're even a Christian, I would beg you, Repent and trust in Christ. Don't wait till the end. Don't wait for some altar call to change your life. Too many people live their lives in such a way where they say, at the end, I'm going to fix it. That later on, I'm going to repent of this sin. Before this sermon is over, trust in Christ. Repent of sin. Because if you follow the rest of this warning in Romans chapter 1, he says, and so God gave them over to their own desires. He gave them over to the lusts of their own flesh. Listen, you reject God long enough and he will give you over to it. Turn today, I beg you. Hear the grace of God that calls you into loving fellowship. This is not condemnation. This is all of us. All of us have been broken and stained by sin and yet the call of God is love and acceptance into his family. He has shed his blood that you might be sanctified. Oh, come to Christ. Here's the second observation that Calvin makes, and I actually think this is profound. On day one, God says, let there be light. And there was light, and he separates the light into the day and the darkness into the night. And yet, have you ever marveled over this? He doesn't make the sun and moon and stars until day four. We have day with light, and we have night with darkness, but we have no sun by which we measure light and day and darkness. Here's Calvin's comment. The light preceded the sun and the moon. To nothing are we more prone than to tie down the power of God to those instruments, the agencies of which he employs. Uh, Basically how he gets it done. We, we, We give the hammer credit for building the house. The sun and moon supply us light And according to our notions, we so include this power to give light in them that if they were taken away from the world, it would seem impossible for any light to remain. Therefore, the Lord, by the very order of creation, bears witness that he holds in his hand the light which he is able to impart to us without the sun and moon. We see this in the very first moments of creation. Let there be light. And there was light. Where did it come from? It came from God himself. We find this at the very end of this world. As we know, we we just saw it in the book of Revelation. Revelation 21, verse 23. And the city will have no need of the sun or the moon to shine on it, for the glory of God has illuminated it. Its light is the Lamb. Oh, church, we've got this so wrong. We've got it so wrong. We thought it our peace and our light is not just tied to things like the sun. 
Oh, oh it's, it's tied to the, the light of the government shining favorably upon us. No, Christ the Lamb stands as head over his church. And he said, I will build my church and the gates of hell won't stand against it. What a beautiful promise. Let, let's move a little quicker through the rest of these. Look at verse 6 with me. And, the, and God said, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters. Let it separate the waters from the waters. God made the expanse and separated the waters that were under and the expanse from the waters that were above the expanse, and it was so. And God called that expanse heaven. There was evening and there was morning the second day. This is not heaven as so often we teach in Sunday school of the good little Christian lives and dies and goes to heaven. This is what we would call the air or the atmosphere. We talked last week about all of this just sort of being this potential within God created the heavens and the earth and it, all the waters above and below were all mixed together. And out of it, God forms the atmosphere that surrounds this planet, unique to this planet. As light brings order into darkness, so the order of the atmosphere in perfect balance right from the beginning by the way, this is the giant hole in the evolutionary argument is it also has to work right from the beginning. You can't have this slow uh, billion-year progression if our planet can't sustain life from the beginning. If genetic code within uh, the individual cell can't sustain life from the beginning, it, it doesn't work. It, the argument has a giant hole in the bottom of the boat. And yet God shows amazing detail in creation. Dr. Hugh Ross commenting on this says, too little oxygen and the atmosphere will kill us. Too much oxygen will do the same. And that same kind of fine-tuning where everything had to be perfectly dialed in. It, does anybody have somebody in their house who likes to mess with the thermostat? It's like that mystery ghost person who every time they walk by it either has to jack it up about 10 degrees or down about 10 degrees. Like these people exist. I'm just telling you they're out there. Yes, I, I saw one hand. Everything within the atmosphere that God created had to be perfectly fine-tuned from the oxygen that we breathe to the nitrogen to carbon dioxide to the ozone to the water vapor. Uh, Dr. Ross writes in his 1988 book, 1998 book, sorry, uh, commenting on this fine-tuning on the earth, he, he says, even if you change the earth's location, uh, location, proximity to the sun, if you change how close or far we are away from the moon, if you change how close or far we are from other planets, which, by the way, uh, God has so situated the planets that our earth is not constantly being struck and destroyed by asteroids, which would then destroy the atmosphere. Planets like Saturn are catching those, absorbing those impacts. If you change that, if you change the axis or the rotation that the Earth is on, if you change the orbit, how it goes around the sun, Earth cannot sustain life. Dr. Ross mentions 68 different variables. There's more than that, but he just details 68 that are, are pretty simple and straightforward, but I'm not going to read them to you because there's 68 of them without which any of them we could not sustain life. And here's what he says. The probability of all those happening is 1, to the, one out of 10 to the 99th power. Now, I don't know if you remember math from school. Right, so, so what does squared mean? Like three squared, so you have three with a little two above it. It, it means you take three times three, Right? What is three cubed? Like three with a little three by it. You take three times three times three. This means you taking times ten, times ten, times ten, which means the numbers get ridiculous really fast. They had a name for it that Pastor John could probably pronounce because he loves those type of names. Uh, it, let, me, let me give you a for instance. Uh, there is only one to ten to the 23rd power stars and planets in all of the universe and all the cosmos that exists. This is three times more than every star or planet that exists. There is zero chance statistically of this happening on its own. This is God's perfect fingerprint upon this earth. One of my favorite illustrations of this 
is imagine you're walking down the street and, and on the sidewalk in front of you is this watch. And it's ticking. It's keeping time. In fact, you pick it up and the, the time's exactly right. And you, you look at this watch laying on the sidewalk and you say this, because you believe in evolution. Here's where this watch came from. This watch that is ordered, it has all the numbers and they're in the right order. It's ticking and, and the time is, is the right time. And you say, this must have taken billions of years. There was some explosion and what was just matter floating around in space exploded and formed over billions of years, time and chance. It formed into this watch and therefore this watch is just a chance product of evolution, time plus chance. Only no one thinks that. Not a single person thinks that. Because we look at that and go, somewhere there's a watchmaker. There's too much information. There's too much order. There's too much organization within it. Oh, we see the fingerprint of God all around us in creation, testifying to his existence. Verse 9 says, And God said, Let the waters under the heavens be gathered together in one place, and let the dry land appear, and it was so. And God called the dry land earth, and the waters were gathered together. He called seas, and God saw that it was good. Just a week ago on Saturday, there was an eruption. I always wonder what these things look like. An eruption on the island of Tonga. I don't know if you guys saw this. Uh, I want to say that the volcano was like Hunga on Tonga which I'm pretty sure like a four-year-old boy made this up. Like, what should we name our island? Hunga Tonga. A, a volcano erupts 500 feet under the water. Did you guys see this story? How many of you saw the video of it? Uh, 500 feet under the water, uh, the biggest eruption of a volcano on planet Earth in the last 30 years. And as soon as the lava hits the, the cold water underneath, it exploded. And a, a, a gigantic explosion ash cloud shoots from 500 feet below the surface so high up into the air. I mean, it, the, the island is like devastated. There's all kind of issues dealing with that. Uh, but it was observable from space that there's great satellite video of this cloud exploding up out of the ocean. It, it, in Tonga, is where the volcano was. It was felt halfway around the world, felt and heard in parts of Alaska. Christian, what did it sound like when God spoke the word and out of these waters, earth explodes? By the way, that, that volcano was more powerful than an atomic bomb going off. Any, kids, anybody here like fireworks? Come on, you can be a, adults. Anybody here like fireworks? <laughs> now, which ones are your favorite? Like the big, the big colorful ones, the sparkly, like shiny ones? Does anybody like the big boom ones? Yeah, that's me. The homemade ones? See us after service. All right, so... <laughs> just have in your mind that just this one volcano was bigger than an atomic bomb. What did that boom sound like? Have you ever done this? Like you're getting ready. It's just getting dark. It's 4th of July. You're going to set them off. And somebody's still in the house. They're like putting food away from dinner. You know, the, the whole family's over and they go, don't start without me. I want to see this. I want to experience it. Friends, how many people saw this creation? How many people heard this creation? One. God himself. As the earth explodes into being. And God goes, that was awesome. I did that for my own glory. I'm going to tell my people about this. Just amazing. The, the magnitude of what that must have looked like when God created. Verse 11, And God said, Let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed, and fruit, fruit trees bearing fruit in which is their seed, each according to its kind on the earth. And it was so. The earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seeds according to their own kind, Trees bearing fruit in which is their seed, each according to its own kind. God saw it was good. And there was evening and there was morning the third day. It's a phrase we're going to find again and again this week and next week, according to its kind. Ken Ham at Answers in Genesis has done a masterful job 
of talking about this and actually turning it into uh, something beautiful as we educate our children, as we show them uh, the truth and the reality, the validity, in fact, the scientific nature of God's word. According to its own kind is used nine times in these verses from 11 to 25. We're going to talk a lot more about that next week. But just keep in mind, what we're looking at is God bring order out of chaos. But he doesn't have to. All right, think about that with me. God does not have to bring order out of chaos. He could have just created and then left it as chaos. Left it as formless. Left it as void. And yet there is predictable order. All right, so kids, have you ever helped mom and dad plant a garden? How many of you ever done that? You've helped plant a garden. Wouldn't you just imagine you got a whole handful of seeds, and you you take one, and to you, it actually kind of looks like a, a corn seed, and you plant that in the ground. What do you think is going to come up? Potatoes. Anybody think potatoes? Alistair, I'm glad. Right, rock on, buddy. All right, Richard says he thinks corn. So what if, what if you have beans and you plant those in the ground? Are you going to get corn? Because you planted them in the same place as corn. <laughs> I don't know if you hear her. She's like, you're going to get beans. <laughs> She's a scientist. How does she know this? Because this earth, this, this creation in which we live is ordered and predictable. It is observable. If you plant this, you will reap this. But bear in mind, God does not have to do that. He did not have to create in such a way. And yet, because he has done this for millennia, it's been the Christians who said, our God created all things by the power of his word. It is an orderly creation. Therefore, it is observable. We can look at it. We can watch it. We can study it. And we can see what's going to happen. That's called the scientific method. It's actually born out of a belief that there's a God who created all things. It is not born out of a belief that all things randomly happen by chance. That's chaos. There's actually scientists out there who believe in the chaos theory. That leads away from the scientific method. It is only a belief in a creating God that leads us to an assumption of a scientific method. Dr. Jeff Gibbon says this, theologian Thomas Aquinas was a significant voice for natural theology. Back in the 1200s AD, he argued that the reason an observation of nature would lead to evidence for the orderliness of the creator as seen in his creation. That the only reason that we have science today is because God created all things. That it didn't happen randomly. It didn't happen by chance. No, there is order. There is form. But in the form, there's also function. So think about the plants that surround us, that, that fill this earth, that verses 9 through 13 tell us about. It is absolutely astounding. Now, this may be a stretch for some of you. Do you remember the word photosynthesis? Remember that from school? This idea that plants sort of pull out of the atmosphere and out of the ground and out of the sun this food that they need to stay alive, that they need to grow. And they, they take carbon dioxide that's in the air and they, they sort of turn it around and push off oxygen that, that their byproduct, their waste that they produce is what we breathe. It's why our planet is sustainable. When you think about something as simple as photosynthesis, it is absolute, pure genius. That looks nothing like when man creates. By the way, man is supposed to create, all right? So let's not play that card. Man is terrible. Man is a blight upon this earth. We do better to have less people. There's actually people who, all, who say that. Uh, behind uh, most of the uh, green movement in our nation, people are the problem. That, that's what they're going to tell you. No, sin is the problem. Right? When we create things, uh, go to that next slide. Here's what we create. Diminished resources. We end up slashing into resources. In our process of producing something, we pollute the environment. And when it's all over, we take the byproduct of what we made and pollute the environment again. Now, man is called to be a creator and a worker to make things, right? So don't go like, man's the problem, we need less humans. I want you to just 
contrast that with when God creates. All right, go to the next one. This is one of my favorite all-time things to think about. I love the orange. Think about that production we just saw with that factory, like chugging out smoke and polluting the river that's right there, all to make some plastic wrapper that's going to go in and somebody's going to be worried about it ending up in the ocean. And God has wrapped every single orange in its own wrapper. It protects it. It keeps the fruit, the seeds inside. By the way, it, this whole passage about uh, trees that produce uh, fruit with the seeds inside them, every orange that we produce that doesn't have seed in it means it's a pointless orange. All right, that's just, just think about that. Every single one has its own wrapper. What happens if you take that wrapper off and throw it away? It's good for the environment. Like, rather than being a landfill, it's actually helpful to the environment. And then inside of it, you have the seeds that reproduce the orange tree. Orange trees don't like, don't care if you like oranges. I don't know if you know that. Like, it's all a big trick <laughs> so that you'll plant more orange trees, which don't grow well in Indiana, but they work good in Florida. They actually smelled really good when they're in bloom. Now, consider this. Anybody in here like Capri Suns? You remember those? The, yeah, the kids are like, we love them. Some of us are old enough to remember when they came out. That These little plastic packages which by the plastic is still around from when I was a kid in the early 80s. Think about that, right? Then you get to take the straw and like stick it in it and then, you know, drink it. And one pouch is just sealing in this drink. Think about an orange. God has sealed every single drop of juice in its own container. Every drop of juice is individually packaged inside an orange. And at the end, once you have the wrapper and the packaging and all the juice is used up when the product is done. It is 100% biodegradable and good for the environment. And God created that at the first moment of creation. There is an amazing thoughtfulness that in all of our wisdom, we can't come close to keeping up with. Amazing, the God who creates. It's no surprise then that God looks at that and it says he saw it. and It was good. We can only see creation through a broken lens of sin. And yet it's still amazing. I'm still amazed every time I think about the complexity of an orange, and yet even that is broken, is tainted by sin. What did it look like before there was sin and death? When God sees his creation in perfection and says, it is good. Six times God is going to say, and it was good, without flaw, without imperfection. In fact, he's going to say it one more time, but the seventh time he's going to say it about man who he has made different from every animal or every uh, created thing. He has made man in his image, and he's going to say this is very good. Verse 14, and God said, let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night. Let them be for signs and for seasons, for days and years. Let them be lights in the expanse of the heavens to give light to the earth. And it was so. And God made the two great lights, the greater light to rule the day, the lesser light to rule the night, and the stars. <laughs> it just struck me how ridiculous that phrase is. God says, let there be a sun, which you can't even look at with your eye without doing damage to your eye. And it says, and it was so. The sun had no choice but to come into existence. He creates the moon, which we've, we've either been to or we faked it. I think we've been there. The moon landing, like, just a couple times. It, it's, it's beyond our reach here in Indiana, right? And then you look at the magnitude of stars, which we cannot count or number and he goes, oh yeah, and he made some stars too. That's ridiculous. <laughs> it would be like if you're building a house, and like Jonas and Kirsten working on their house, and you go over and uh, you're like, man, this is looking good. When are you guys moving in? They tell you when you're moving in. And they're like, oh yeah, we also built every other house in the United States. No big deal. Just, just a sight. Oh, and he made some stars. That is ludicrous the majesty of our God. I don't even know where I was. I just sidetracked myself. Verse 17, and God set them over the expanse in the heavens to give light to the earth, to rule over the day and over the night, 
to separate the light from the darkness, and God saw it was good, and there was evening, there was morning, the fourth day. Friends, we don't have light because there's a sun and a moon. We have light because our God said, let there be light. It, this, this idea of sun and moon, uh, I remember bothering me when I was a kid because it felt really kind of unscientific. He makes two great lights, the sun and the moon, except the moon isn't actually a light. It's a reflection of the light, right? right? The sun is, is giving off light from itself, and that light reflects off of the moon, and so it, it kind of looks like a light. So we, do we read this and say, well, they, they were just sort of poor, uneducated, like they didn't really understand what they were saying when they said two great lights, it actually wasn't until this week. I was reading through Calvin's commentary and it struck me that God created the light before he created the sun. That the sun is not the source of the light. The moon is not the source of the light. It's a reflection of somebody else's light. The sun is not the source of the light. It is the reflection of somebody else's light. The light belongs to God. And in the end, when all the earth and all the heavens are passed away, and God creates a new heavens and a new earth, we're not going to have the sun. We're going to have the Lamb. The light belongs to God. Uh, last night we were at our house, uh, had some friends from church over. We were playing pool, of which I am not an expert. And uh, any of you non-expert, those of you who are expert pool play, players, just leave the room for a second. Here's the rest of us. Like, we line up the shot, and then you take it, and something that you did not expect to happen happens. Right? It ricochets off of this and bumps that one, and two balls go in at the same time, and you're like, I am awesome. <laughs> I had one goal in mind, and then something miraculous happened. Friends, that is not Genesis. That is not God creates light and darkness. He creates the sun and the moon. And then, you know, coincidentally... The timing actually worked out perfectly for a 24-hour day, for 365 days a year, for how you, how you factor in leap year to keep track of the days so that that watch is perfectly ticking from the first moment of creation until now without a single error. God did not step back and go, man, I didn't see that coming. That was in his heart and mind from the beginning. Our God is amazing. And yet think about this as we wrap this up. There's darkness, but there's no sin. There's no evil lurking within the darkness, and yet God knew that was coming. He knew that that would be our experience. As many of you experienced sometimes as a kid growing up being afraid of the dark. He knew that there would be dark times of our soul. And so he reminds us, even in the order of creation, before any of those things would come, before a single person was on this planet in the midst of darkness, hold on, morning is coming. It's one of your fill-in-the-blanks. Hold on, morning is coming. Think about this order because it's backwards from what we say. We find this again and again at the end of every day. And there was evening and there was morning it was day three. And there was evening and there was morning. It was day four. We don't think like that. We have our morning. That's when our day begins. And then we have evening when our day comes to a conclusion and we go to bed and we wake up and it's a new day. That's not what he says. He actually says, listen, the, the day begins in the darkness, that our lives are beginning in the darkness. But hold on, because from the darkness of your life, God has planned for dawn to break. God has ordained for light to shine in the midst of your darkness Hold on, morning is coming. There's a promise even before we get to the fall where he says there's a son who's coming who's going to crush the head of the serpent. We find even in the order of creation a promise of salvation that is coming. When darkness is done, light will come. When life seems dark and hopeless and you're ready to give up, weary Christian, hold on, morning is coming. When people hurt you, when people disappoint you, Christian, hold on, morning is coming. Hear God's promise and consider the beauty of this. The intricacy, the majesty that God has built into every single day of your life that has testified, morning is coming. 
Lamentations 3, verses 17 to 24 says this. But my soul was bereft of peace. I'd forgotten what happiness is. And so I say my endurance has perished. So is my hope from the Lord. Remember my affliction and my wanderings, the wormwood and the gall. My soul continually remembers it and is bowed down within me. But this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new when every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. Worship team, if you would come up and join us. Friends, I was just overwhelmed in reading that, knowing some of the struggles that I know many of you are walking through. Many of you who are in this room, many of you who are joining us online, maybe some who are part of our congregation who are feeling so low that they can't even muster up the emotional strength to turn this podcast on, to turn this live stream on. That it sounds like Lamentations 3. My soul is bowed down within me. My hope from the Lord is gone. Did you hear those words? But this I call to mind. If you sit and meditate on that, sit and think on that, that's where you will stay. But this I call to mind. And therefore I have hope. That every darkness in my life, every, every day, every night that has come to pass has promised that the light is coming, that the morning is coming. And that God is steadfast, that he has mercy that never comes to an end. Great is his faithfulness. Arthur W. Pink, when he's commenting on this section in Genesis, says this, The entrance of sin has blinded the eyes of man's hearts. It has darkened his understanding so much so that left to himself, man is unable to perceive the awfulness of his condition. The condemnation which rests upon him, or the peril in which he stands, unable to see the urgent need of a Savior, he is spiritually in total darkness. Neither the affections of his heart, the reasoning of his mind, nor the power of his will can dissipate that awful darkness. Light comes to a sinner only through the word applied by the Spirit. Friends, your hope is not that you can reason your way out of this. Your hope is that the sovereign God reaches down and reveals himself to you. This is the gospel promise right from the beginning of creation that darkness must give way to light. That God has actively divided darkness and light. That those who walk in darkness, maybe you feel like this is you, this is Isaiah 9, that those who walk in darkness did nothing to save themselves, but they have seen a great light, verse 2 says. You know why? Because they couldn't not see it. When God put the glory of Christ on display, they could not unsee it. Yet unless the Spirit opens your eyes, you really can't see, you really can't believe. You can show up to church you come to Sunday school, you can teach the Sunday school class. Yet you can't see Christ unless God opens your eyes. Friends, beg him for salvation. In fact, if, if that's not you, the Bible doesn't just describe you as blind. It says that you are dead in your sin. We should get this thanks to all the zombie movies that are out there. With dead people walking around. Attacking other... Yeah, anybody ever heard that phrase, hurting people hurt people? Man, when, there, when there's darkness that lurks within us, we are like a brute beast. When there's darkness that lurks within us, we cannot see the glory of Christ. You cannot make yourself alive. It doesn't work. Beg God to open your eyes. Families, we have some discussion prayer focus that's in your bulletin. I just encourage you to look at that. 
But here's what I want us to do now. Would you just close your Bibles? Before we confess together our belief in the Nicene Creed, before we come to the table of the Lord, man, I just want you to quiet your heart before him right now. I want you to examine yourself, as Paul said, to see if you're in the faith. I'm glad you're here this morning. Like it says something about you that you're here this morning, that you got up and drove through three or four inches of snow, and yet it doesn't say that you're saved. Come on, can you hear me? Maybe you came because you like fellowship, because you like acceptance, because you're doing something that you believe is going to earn you a place in the kingdom of God, and I would say all those things will fall short. God alone saves. This is why as we confess together in this ancient creed of the church before we come to the table that Jesus created, that Jesus gave to us, that we don't offer him anything in the table. He offers us himself. I want you to hear that call again. He offers himself to you. Don't walk out of this place. Don't turn off this live stream unless you have cried out to God, Oh God, save me. Would you stand together with me? Let's consider who it is that we believe in. In who it is we have placed our hope. Before we come and just go through the motions of taking communion that represents the body of Jesus that was crushed and broken for your sin. Before we drink of the cup of his blood poured out in place of yours. Let's consider the greatness of who this God is. Let's, let's confess together, and then as we begin to sing, you can come and take the elements and take them back to your places. Let's just confess this together. We believe in one God, the Father, the Almighty. Thanks for joining our podcast. We pray that God would bless you and strengthen you through his word. If you'd like to find out more about EWC or give tithes and offerings in support of this ministry, visit our website at edenworshipcenter.co.